Give us today our daily bread. Perhaps the oddest line in the whole prayer. Now let me explain that. Remember before Jesus even taught the Lord's Prayer, he prefaced it all by saying that our Father knows what we need before we even ask. So it seems strange when you think about it that a prayer would include asking for something when Jesus has already taught that God already knows. But more than that, this is an odd prayer because for the vast majority of us in our communities, daily basics are not a point of concern at all. If we are running low on bread and on milk, we can leave our comfortable homes, we can jump in our functioning cars, we can head down to the well-stocked supermarkets and we can pick up what we need from the reserves that we have in our bank accounts. We may not be able to do that as freely at the moment as we have liked, but you get my point. This line, I think, is the oddest of all. But my guess at the same time is that for the majority of us, this line, more than any other, has shaped the way in which we pray. Jesus taught us how to pray for stuff, we reason, and so I'm going to pray for as many things as I can possibly think of. For 99% of us, this line is prayer. And maybe that is what's made unpacking the rest of the Lord's Prayer so difficult, so unsettling for many people. We've been exploring each week, haven't we, how the Lord's Prayer, familiar as it is to us, is inviting us to shape our minds, to modify our outlook, to change even our desires and to see the world as Jesus sees it. That sort of praying that changes us which impacts us more than it impacts God, seems totally at odds with our willingness and our inclination to pray for stuff. It's made it hard as we've made our way through. But the prayer hasn't really changed. Even if our gaze is shifted from up there and God to down here and us, it's still about sweeping away the lies the lies we so readily believe, and learning to live in Jesus' world. Here are two lies, two things that we usually take for granted. Number one, most of us, most of the time, believe that you get what you work for. If you don't work, you don't get. Or even more strongly, that everything that I have is mine by rights. I have it because I've earned it. You do a job, you expect a wage. You spend some time and energy and effort in the garden, you expect a crop. You practice, you practice, you practice at a particular skill, you master it. If you put in the graft, you get the reward at the other end. It's it's a form of entitlement mindset. That's line number one. Line number two is even more universal. Most of us, Most of the time, we genuinely believe that there isn't enough to go around. That resources are limited, seriously limited. And so the best thing that we can do for ourselves and for our loved ones is to hoard what we can and to hell with everybody else. We stockpile what we can and we live, perhaps without recognising it, but with another mindset. 
a scarcity mindset. But this prayer, give us today our daily bread. In fact, the whole force of the entire Bible says otherwise. It says that those two things are actually lies. We're being offered a chance by Jesus instead to, to view the world through the lenses of generosity. From the beginning of the Bible, we are introduced to a God who is beyond generous. It says in Genesis chapter 1 that he literally made everything. Once there was nothing, and then he gave everything. It says that he gave us even the breath in our lungs, that he put life into dirt. And from the word go, the description of God we meet, we find in the Bible, is a God who is giving. A God who puts humanity into a flourishing garden, and if that's not enough, he's the one who waters it. Now, of course, he passes on certain responsibilities, that's what the story says, but in doing so, he makes sure that they have the resources, that they are equipped to carry out those responsibilities. Be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, take care of everything that I have made in the seas, in the sky, in the land. I'm giving you every seed-bearing plant and, and all the fruit on the trees and those creatures that I've entrusted into your care. I've more than provided everything that they need. That's the generous God who we're introduced to on page one of the Bible. And that's the God who keeps on reappearing as we make our way through the Bible. John read some of Psalm 104 to start us off, a psalm which speaks of this generosity of God, of how actually nature recognises the abundance that he continues to give us. We find a similar sentiment in Psalm 36. Psalm 36 gives us these words. Your love, Lord, reaches to the heavens, your faithfulness to the skies. Your righteousness is like the highest mountains, your justice like the great deep. You, Lord, preserve both people and animals. How priceless is your unfailing love, O God. People take sh refuge in the shadow of your wings. They feast on the abundance of your house. You give them drink from the river of delights. With you is the fountain of life. In your light we see light. That is supposed to be our starting point. That is supposed to be our foundation when we look out, when we view the world, when we consider how we should live in it. Not having to prove ourselves of value in order to earn a reward, but a God who is generous, a God who gives, who gives good gifts and gives good gifts in abundance. You know, that's exactly how Jesus wants us to see the world as well, isn't it? If you keep on reading past the Lord's Prayer in Matthew chapter 6, you come to Jesus speaking about worry. And he points the people who are listening to him to the flowers of the field and the birds of the air. And in doing so, he's, he's highlighting to them just how generous God truly is. That the God of this world provides everything that they need and that they live, he says, in the ongoing provision of that generous God. 
the, the problem is though, we genuinely, we genuinely struggle with that, don't we? We struggle to believe that because, because of our desires to prove ourselves, entitlement, because of our deep, deep-seated fear that there isn't enough scarcity. These lies that we take for granted can be traced back right to the start of the story as well. They're not our new lies, they're inherited lies. Adam and Eve, they weren't really having it that God was a generous God. They let this suspicion, they let this lie creep in and take over. When he told them not to eat from that one particular tree, they thought God was holding out on them. They, God, they believed that God was holding on to something that they needed. They didn't trust in a generous God. Instead, they decided that they needed to take for themselves, to hoard. And that way of thinking went badly wrong. In fact, the next story in the Bible, the story of their two sons, is the story of generosity and scarcity. One son has this mindset that God is a good God who gives us everything that we need. The other son, not so much. And that led to murder, the first recorded murder in human history. And soon enough, the story of humanity becomes the story of justifying the horrible, the hurtful, the, the sadness, the, the, the sinful things that we do. Justifying those actions on the basis, on the ground that we have to do those things in order for us and our tribe to survive. But it's not the only way that we see in the Bible. As we make our way through the pages of Scripture, we do encounter characters who trust in the generosity of God. Throughout the, the story, we, we glimpse this when people put their faith in the true God of this world. People who follow him stick with him even when life gets sketchy, even when dark and mysterious strangers turn up at their door. And in those glimpses, in those moments, we see one of the hallmarks of someone who truly has put their trust in God, the generous God of the Bible, is hospitality and generosity on their part. I mentioned strangers come into their door. You see it repeated so often that these faithful, faith-filled people, instead of being suspicious, locking the door, shutting people out, they invite others in. They, they offer a meal. They're hospitable. They're generous. They trust that God will provide. Of course, the greatest picture in scriptures of generosity is Jesus himself. And I don't mean by that a picture um, in Jesus's actions of feeding people or healing the sick. Um, I mean, Jesus had very little materially speaking. And so it would be odd to look at him as an example of generosity in that way. No, what I mean is Jesus himself being the very personification of generosity. St. Paul the Apostle was writing to one of the churches that he had established in the first century. And he's writing to them specifically on the topic of giving. He wants one church to give financially in order to help brothers and sisters, Christians in another part of the church, who are suffering terribly because of famine. 
And uh, what he does isn't write to them and say, come on, you know what the right thing to do is. Help a brother out so that maybe when you're suffering later, they can help you out in return. That's the sort of reasoning we might use. No, he makes them look to Jesus. And he describes what Jesus has done for us in coming to live and to die and to rise again in our place in these generous material terms. This is what he writes. You know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor. He gave it all away so that through his poverty you could become rich. Jesus had it all, literally, the eternal, the divine son, through whom and in whom all things exist. He had everything and yet he came. He entered our sin-sick and suffering world. He lived and he even died so that we, broken as we are, could be made whole again. So that what was lacking in us because of our suspicion and our greed could be made up in him. So that we who have nothing could gain everything. He handed himself over to death so that we could find life. That is the ultimate example of generosity in the Bible. And that is absolutely core to the story of this book. That there is a generous God who is being generous even to us, a greedy world. And now that brings us back to the prayer. Give us today our daily bread. And I want us just to do a quick, honest test. How many of us have ever prayed that prayer for somebody else? How many of us have ever prayed that prayer for other people other than ourselves? Here's my hypothesis because it's true for me and I suspect it's true for many of you watching as well. That we have actually substituted the words in this prayer without necessarily literally changing them in my heart and in my mind and in my focus. That I don't pray, give us today our daily bread. I pray, give me today my daily bread. We pray the prayer, but we twist it. Because we're still more convinced by the lies than we are by the truth. Speaking of the lies, how does this line in the Lord's Prayer then dismantle them? Well, think about that entitlement mindset. I don't think that you can pray this prayer, give us our daily bread for yourselves or even for other people and still think that everything that you have is down to your own hard work and graft, that you're entitled to it because you've worked for it. I don't think you can pray it and think that other people only deserve what they've earned. The prayer in itself is a declaration that we need to trust ourselves, we need to depend, and we need to entrust other people into the generous God who we meet in Jesus. That's what the prayer is like stating explicitly. That doesn't mean we fall into laziness. The Bible has got um, plenty to say about people who won't work hard. We're supposed to work hard. But it does force us to get rid of this silly idea, this silly notion that we get out precisely because we have put in. That's not true. 
We get out because God is a gracious God, because God is a generous God who gives and gives even when it is us who have done the work. He gives us the responsibilities and then he equips us to fulfill those responsibilities. You can't pray this prayer, give us our day, uh, give us today our daily bread and cling on to this entitlement mindset. Lie to was the scarcity mindset. I think actually today we probably have a much easier perspective. We have a much easier way of understanding how this is a lie in our culture because let's face it, who on earth is literally having to pray each and every day to be fed. Well, we know, generally speaking, where on earth, but it isn't you or I, is it? Watching on our smartphones, on our laptops, on our HD TVs. What a weird thing it is to even to suggest that you and I should be repeating this every morning as we wake up or every night before we go to bed, begging God for, for food for the day when most of our day is felt sitting in our comfortable homes, on comfortable furniture, watching high-res TV shows or, or reading um, quality published books. Do we, do we really think that there isn't enough to go around? I know there was a panic a couple of weeks ago, wasn't there? That there wouldn't be enough toilet paper to go around. Look how easily we bought into that lie. Do we really think that we need to hoard, to stockpile, to collect for ourselves at the expense of everybody else? When you put it in those stark and simple terms, it's, it's clearly madness, isn't it? Can we pray this prayer? Give us today our daily bread, while at the same time scheming on how to increase our own wealth, on how to increase our own comfort, and ease and access to bread. What we need to do is to be honest, to see that God has given the vast majority of us more than enough and will continue to give us more than enough. And that what we should do when we pray this prayer is to imitate him in his generosity. Rather than hoarding, we need to learn to trust, truly trust God. And that means giving away just as freely as we have received. Now I get it, neither of those things are easy to do. It's not easy to view the things that we have that come at the end of our work as gifts to us. It's not easy to give away, to give up what we have. We're always fearful that at some point, the supply is going to run out. But this is what Jesus is encouraging us, is inviting us to see and to live out. We live in a world ruled and reigned by a father who is generous. We come into a kingdom that has as its king a son who is generous, even giving his own self so that we could live. That's supposed to change how we think. That's supposed to change how we view the world. That's supposed to change how we live in this world. It's not easy. It's not easy because we've been addicted to the lies for so long. But it is the direction we have to move in. To see God, to remember who God truly is. Generous. 
to see the world for what it truly is. A world where God continues to give us enough and, and to consider how we should live in light of all that, receiving generously and giving generously. Let's pray. Father in heaven, you give us all that we have. You give us more than we need. We thank you for all the abundance that you have blessed us with. And we pray that you help us to see this world as it truly, truly is. Help us to trust you as you truly, truly are. A provider of all things. Help us to join in your work by being distributors, not hoarders, of what you have given us. Thank you, Jesus. You did not live with a scarcity mindset in eternity, but you stepped into our world, into our time, to give your very self so that we could benefit. Lord God, we pray that you would change our perspective, that you would help us to learn and to live in light of the one who already knows everything we need before we ask. Lord, help us to be generous people, generous in response to your generosity. Amen.